0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com.
1: I, I see that at the end of the day, three, four years from now, you're going to be able to buy a liquid, cheap Bitcoin ETF, and it's going to be powerful. And this is why we we say, um, you know, to the crypto exchanges, um, you know, this will be a threat to their business because Coinbase and some of these exchanges charge a lot per trade. <music>
0: Hi everyone, welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto eight years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the September 1st, 2023 episode of Unchained. TOKU makes implementing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. With Toku, you get unmatched legal and tax tech support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Make it simple today with Toku. Arbitrum's leading Layer 2 scaling solution offers you ultra-cheap and lightning-fast transactions, all with security rooted on Ethereum. Visit arbitrum.io today. Today's episode is brought to you by Overtime Markets, your premier Web three sportsbook. The innovative protocol is changing the game one match at a time. Powered by Thales. Explore more at overtimemarkets.xyz. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, trade, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get twenty five dollars with the code Laura. Link in the description. Today's guest is Eric Balchunas, senior ETF analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Welcome, Eric.
1: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: This week was a big week for a possible spot Bitcoin ETF. What happened?
1: Well, Grayscale had sued the SEC a while back and the ruling came out. And it was pretty, I think the word uh, that one headline uses, stinging. It was a 3-0 decision in favor of Grayscale against the SEC and basically vacated their entire justification for denying all those spotted ETFs over the years. So we have uh, had a 65% chance of Bitcoin ETFs being launched this year, but we upped it to 75%. Now we had factored in a grayscale win, but the language, the uh, absoluteness of the way they vacated the SEC and the 3-0 decision was a little more than our expectations. And some of our legal analyst friends had the same reaction. And the 3-0 is important because the main judge is a Trump appointee, but the other two are Obama and Carter appointees. So you had two Democrats agreeing with the Republican on the bench. That's important because remember, Gensler is a Democrat. And so there's politics involved with all of this. And so one thing that we've been watching this whole time is the political tenableness of Gensler being able to say, to keep denying ETFs. Because at some point, the political pressure could, could move, it could change. And so- We also looked at the public relations fallout. I mean, this stuff was covered in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, ABC, uh, and then all the financial publications. Those are publications the Capitol Hill reads, right? And you know, people in power, like they're not, you know, as much as I love the crypto trade publications, you know, they're probably not widespread read um, across Congress. But the New York Times is, Wall Street Journal is. So this was a big deal, and so it was the. PR and the legal aspect together that we upped our eyes to 75%. We also talked to, again, we lean on lawyers, legal experts, and our own senior litigation analyst, Elliot Stein, who was correct in calling the grayscale win. So he's been really good about this. And his phrase about the ruling was that this, this kind of gives the SEC very little wiggle room to sort of come back with some other reason to deny and so again, we're, we're still leaving 25% chance that it does not launch this year because we've been in this 10 years now and we know how stubborn the SEC has been on this issue and we know Gensler. And so there's just always that possibility that they they'll move the goalposts. You know, one, one thing they're talking about is custody. You know, that wasn't brought up in the fraud or manipulation denials, but they could say, well, now, okay, fine, that's not an issue, but well, now we're worried about how you're going to custody it, whether it's safe um you know it's possible they go there um you know we, we just don't know but again we we keep moving a little further in our optimism
0: yeah i mean i agree with you that this unanimous decision was definitely pretty stinging as you put it for the sec particularly um you know they keep using the fra- the the judges keep using the phrase arbitrary and capricious in the decision making and calling out the inconsistency and there are many points in the decision where they will say, oh, um, you know, the SEC gave this particular reasoning when they approved this Bitcoin futures ETF and then said the exact opposite thing when they, you know, denied the grayscale. So it was just really fascinating to watch. It looked like, you know, they were saying uh, the agency is overreached here.
1: I think this is an important point because we it, it, it feels as though they, you know, by approving futures, they kind of opened up this, you know can of worms, because the futures are based on spot. So they're like, well, we don't think spot, we think it's a wild west, there's no way we can approve any, but the futures market is 99.9% correlated to spot. And that's how it's priced. So in a way, it is weird not to approve spot and approve futures, especially if you take the legal aspect, you just take a step back as a normal person looking at investment products. And if your goal is to protect investors and give them something like safe Well, by denying spot, which to me would be like a green light, you know, in our traffic light system, a green light safe ETF like GLD for gold, but yet you're going to approve futures ETFs, which have to roll. So like the Bitcoin futures ETF is lagging spot by, I think, six, seven percent this year because of that roll costs that most normal people don't understand. Then you also have GBTC, which is a broken product that was allowed to sort of get around and almost was mistaken for an ETF by a lot of people. That's a bad experience if you got into that. And then MicroStrategy has become a ipso facto ETF uh, by owning a lot of Bitcoin. And you could argue that's not a straight Bitcoin ETF either because there's other variables there. Whereas a spot ETF would just be easy, safe. It would track the price of Bitcoin very well because you can do arbitrage between Bitcoin and the ETF. And so it's just a little bit frustrating if you're looking to give investors something that's protecting them. And then all these other products come out that are, in our view, less safe and, you know, have other variables that are that you don't get in a spot Bitcoin ETF. And then they just approved the 2x Bitcoin futures ETF. Yeah. He's like, again, that'd be a top 10 most volatile ETF on the planet. I mean, it's, it's a confusing policy. So I think what they're doing is they're using the ETF almost, I don't say hostage is a rough word, but to regulate crypto more and more. And I think But these lawsuits are going to add up and I think at some point, you know, perhaps they are going to just move on and, and approve them because we did think they were just using the ETF to do things in the crypto space that they wanted to in terms of bringing them more into like regulatory framework and having them be more regulated like equity markets.
0: It's super interesting. Yeah, one um, thing I just wanted to ask you to explain because you said like the Bitcoin futures rolls and then it causes the price to lag by six to seven percent. Um, at least the ETF, because you know we had talked about how the futures price and the spot price is correlated ninety nine point nine percent. Can you just talk a little bit about why it was that the ETF price would lag?
1: Yeah. So Bitcoin Bido, Bito B I T O the Bitcoin futures ETF. Holds one or two months futures, the ones closest to it expiring. So, well, what's you know, we're in um, August. It probably holds. I'm going to say September and October. And so, as September approaches, it has to. It doesn't. It doesn't want to take delivery. So, it, it has to sell September and go into October, or sell October and go into November. And if Bitcoin is rallying and in a good place, usually the, the futures curve goes up, so that because there's expectations that Bitcoin will be worth more in the future. And so when you sell September by October, it's a little more expensive. And this is called Contango, which means that the curve is going up and you're buying it. you're selling uh, lower and buying higher when you roll. And those little moves all year co- are called roll costs. And for something like oil futures, they can be massive, like 40 percent. But for you know gold, they're very minor, Bitcoin, I would say you know seven percent isn't that bad. The good news is when you have that contango, it usually means Bitcoin's in a good place. So I think BitO's up like 65, 70% this year. So, but Bitcoin's spot is probably up 78%. So you're still, you're up a lot. So you're not like totally bummed. But the idea that you just can't get the look at the end of the day, advisors in particular and just regular investors, they just want something that's close to the price that tracks it, whether it goes up or down. And futures ETFs over the years, advisors in particular have just—they don't like them. They don't like that that variable of contango and roll costs, and it's hard to like figure that out. And so they just wanted physical. So in the gold area, there were gold futures ETFs, uh, but they went extinct because everybody gravitated towards the physical. So all one hundred fifty billion dollars in gold ETFs are in the physically backed ones. And so if there's a choice, everybody's going to go physical. People just don't like the derivative variable. In their fund and Biddo, I think showed it this year. But again, Bitto is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's not like it's bad. It's just when you have a futures ETF rolling, can cost cost you return.
0: And then just briefly for listeners who may not understand why there would be a demand for spot Bitcoin ETF, given that it will essentially track the price of spot Bitcoin and people can just hold that even in their own wallets or on an exchange. So just explain why it is that this wrapper of the ETF is important for investors.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, in the ETF wrapper, again, I started covering ETFs in 2006 and I would covered mutual funds before then. So I get asked this a lot, especially on Twitter. There's definitely a faction of the crypto people who are like, why do we even need an ETF? Just hold this cold wallet storage, all this. Again, look, a lot of regular people don't want to bother with that. They don't want to write down 12 words they got to remember for their entire life. And <laughs> especially the advisors, they just trust the ETF. They've used it. It shows up nice in their client statement. It's SPY, GLD, BITO. It all trades like equities. Um, it's got the safeguards of being a 1940 or 1933 act structure. It is tax efficient. There's a variety of uh, things that ETFs have that are really, really advantageous for investors. I covered them in 2006. And when I started covering them, I noticed they were like five evolutionary steps ahead of the mutual fund. They were like mutual funds, but with benefits. And so this is why ETFs take in the lion's share of all the money in terms of uh, investment vehicles. And advisors in particular are probably seventy five percent of the base of ETF investors. And advisors manage thirty trillion dollars. So when you think of like all these like rich boomers golfing, most of them have an advisor who manages their money, and that is who this is going to appeal to. So yes, if you're a millennial crypto person, you go use the exchange. I get it. There's no harm in that. No no ETF person would ever say don't do that, but. For the older, generally, you know, wealthier advisor and their clients, they're gonna opt to use an ETF over going to the exchange, doing their own wallet, or um even using a mutual fund. And so I think what the ETF is gonna act as a bridge uh between the sort of old guard boomer money. And remember, boomers have like, I don't know, 70, 80 percent of all the money in America. I mean, they are loaded. So there's a lot of money there. And the other (laughs) interesting thing is demographics. So boomers are going to, as they get older, they're in their seventies and eighties, they're going to transfer that wealth. And so I think the advisor world, I don't think a lot of them naturally would want to plow into crypto, but I think, um, some of them are, are younger and be like, this is a good hedge. And some of them might want to impress the kids of the boomers and be like, yeah, I'm going to get you some crypto. Um, so. Even if 0.5% of that $30 trillion were allocated to the Bitcoin ETF, that's $150 billion. That's 0.5%. So I think that's why if you're looking for optimism, it is good. Now, whether the ETF comes out and it's a sell the news kind of thing, because the rumor says lifted the price and the, the news, there's a sell off, maybe, I don't know. The short-term pre- moves in Bitcoin are really hard to uh, predict, but over the long term, if you create a bridge and make it easy for you know, the wealthy boomers of America to allocate, uh, that's obviously going to bring some bid orders in for this asset class. And so that's why this is major. And this is, again, it's not just an ETF, it's a bridge.
0: Yeah. And I would also add, I do think even millennials might be interested because they could get um, tax benefits and, um, and put it in their retirement accounts in a way that is not quite possible with, spot Bitcoin, so it could still be that long-term investment for them. Um, So in a moment, we're going to talk about what this means for the Bitcoin ETF race. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Toku makes managing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. Are you designing your token compensation plan and grant templates with multiple law firms? Are you managing cliffs, vesting, and taxable events in a spreadsheet? Are you distributing tokens to your team manually? With Toku, you get unmatched legal and tax tech support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Easy-to-use token grant award templates, vesting tracking via online dashboard, tax withholding integration with payroll, automated distributions, great employee experience. Make it simple with Toku. Learn more at toku.com slash unchained. Arbitrum stands at the forefront of innovation as the premier suite of Layer 2 scaling solutions, bringing you lightning-fast transactions at a fraction of the cost, all with security rooted on Ethereum. From DeFi to gaming, Arbitrum 1 plus Nova is home to over 500 projects. And with the recent launch of Orbit, Arbitrum welcomes you to build your very own tailor-made Layer 3, or an Orbit chain. Propel your project and community forward by visiting Arbitrum.io today. Overtime Markets is your premier Web3 sports book. Overtime is an industry-leading Web3 protocol where users can immerse themselves in the thrilling world of sports. Leveraging the benefits of decentralization and blockchain technology, Overtime leads the charge in innovation, all the while offering fans juicy token rewards for sports events. Overtime supports over 40 leagues and utilizes advanced smart contracts to ensure a seamless user experience. Discover the future of sports trading at OvertimeMarkets.xyz. Back to my conversation with Eric. So this ruling doesn't necessarily mean that GBTC will automatically convert to a spot Bitcoin ETF. So what are the SEC's options at this point, And what are you putting your money on?
1: Ooh, wow. Okay. So again, this is all just us speculating. You bring up a really good point about GBTC. GBTC is structured as a private placement and it's restricted. So it's it may have to refile as like a regular ETF. And it... <laughs> It's possible. This is a theory that we've had for a while that one of the reasons BlackRock filed out of the blue it was a little bit of a shock was to put themselves as a option for the SEC to save face and kind of get back at Grayscale because they could move Grayscale and have them file approve BlackRock and Grayscale takes you know a you know months or whatever to get to come out after BlackRock and Fidelity and the others. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, That you could see that as a, uh, you could see a road that that happens. Um, In terms of grayscale, immediately converting to an ETF, we don't know because there's never been anything like this. Mutual funds have converted to ETFs, but we've never really seen private restricted or private placement do this. So that would be unprecedented, but again, possible. Uh, The SEC now has forty five days to respond to the court ruling. You know, the spokesperson said, "Yeah, we're, we're reviewing this." Uh, tomorrow they've got uh, to uh, a deadline on a couple of the ETFs. They have these like series of deadlines. We think they'll probably just uh, punt and delay while they think about it because you know the ruling just happened. So my my guess is probably one of two things is possible. They come back in 45 days. They could like appeal and go to like the Supreme Court or the next court up. But I don't know. I mean, if you lose 3-0 and two Democrats are on there, and the Supreme Court's got you know even more Republicans than Democrats, it's not looking good. So I doubt that'll happen. We think they'll either do one or two things. They'll either come out and 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 do this new thing where custody is our new issue, and we're going to just have this long, drawn-out thing again. That's the 25% that it won't happen theory. The other thing they could do is sort of get together with these issuers and be like, look, we have a couple of minor tweaks. You know, Maybe we would like you to use Fidelity instead of Coinbase as a custodian, you know, Uh, Maybe you've got to put something here on how APs can deal with crypto. There's this like behind the scenes, they can tweak a little uh, of the language and just to make it put a little more safeguards in and then they can sort of line them up. And then we might just get, you know, wake up one day in October and we hear the SEC has decided to release the ETFs and they're all launching in two weeks and eight are going to launch on the same day. And that's that. So that's probably the more likely road um, be given this the little wiggle room they have. But again, those to me would be the two routes that could possibly happen. I guess there's a, other possibilities, but to me, those are the most likely.
0: And it, for that October date, you're talking about the 45 days from the ruling? Yeah, but I, I'm
1: more just talking, because I don't think timelines are going to, they might matter because they they matter more if they're going to reject them. Usually they when they reject an ETF, they wait till like the last day or two. In my opinion this is such a unique situation and somewhat sensitive and you've got BlackRock involved and I just feel like this is one of those situations where they may not approve them all on like say the third date. You know there's like four dates that they have to respond. If they're going to do it they they're probably going to get together, decide this thing and then I don't know if the dates will matter that much. I think if they're going to approve them, if they're going to disapprove them, the dates could matter because on the final day, the first final deadline is in January. They could come out and, with Ark and say, here's why we denied it. Uh, custody is our big issue. And then boom, we're, we're sort of back to the drawing board. But
0: You're talking about Ark and Yes. Okay.
1: If they do that, they could get sued again though. But, you know, like, so they're, every time they make a new issue, they could go back to court. And again, this just, the optics are great. I think if, you go to court and you said fraud or manipulation for ten years. The uh, court says that doesn't really apply. You approve futures, therefore, spot is the same thing. And then you have this new thing. I just, I don't know. Your, your risk, the optics get worse and worse. I think as you go down that road. But again, um, they've been pretty stubborn on this for ten years. So you know they could continue to do that. But those dates, we have a, a table, James. I can. It's probably on James's Twitter feed. Other crypto people are. Basically, just stealing it and tweeting about it. And, you know, it's a little annoying, but that's okay. So of them tag us, some don't. <laughs> we have a table with all the dates. So you can keep track of the dates. The first one, again, is Friday. So we could hear today or tomorrow from the SEC. Uh, but again, I just think this is the, the the nature of this is going to be a little different because also, um, when you think about the SEC approving these, would they approve many at once or, or they go in the order of the dates? If they win the order of the dates, ARC would be out two months ahead of BlackRock. And I think the SEC learned from Bido that even one day Head Start is crucial and you play Kingmaker. So they would make yeah. ARC the best biggest Bitcoin ETF and it would take years for anyone to get into that. So I think what they probably do is approve many at once. Right now they're working on Ether Futures ETFs and we hear they're going to let them all out at once, which by the way is also an important issue that the SEC can change. Ether Futures ETFs were filed and withdrawn like four times in the past five years. Well, this time they filed and they did not get withdrawn. And they're probably going to approve them in October. So that's an interesting, that shows they can change. They can actually progress on this issue because they didn't want to do that before. Um, so we will see those ETFs come out. And if we see like eight launch on the same day or all of them, that's a good sign that spots, spot ETFs probably all launch on the same day as well, which would create a real like demolition derby of marketing. Because they all offer the same thing. There's no differentiation. So they're all going to throw a bunch of advertising and marketing. It could get pretty wild. They might like team up with celebrities. I don't know. But you're going to see just a a wild race. And in a couple days, the race could be over. Like you'll know who the GLD of this group is. And there can only be one stud, the one that has all the liquidity, that then there could be three or four successful ones. There can only be one like true. Because it's all about the volume and like GLD still commands lion share the volume of all gold ETFs, even though there's been many cheaper ones. So that early start is so crucial. And that's a whole nother sort of subplot of this story that will be fascinating.
0: Well, so when you're saying that you think multiple will be approved at once, do you have any that you think probably won't be approved? Um, And then so then the, the, you know, complimentary question would be which ones are the ones you think would be approved?
1: Um, so my again, if I'm just thinking about the conservative nature of the SEC, I, I have to give BlackRock and Fidelity good odds of coming out first because that's TradFi. That's like, these are gigantic establishment firms the SEC probably trusts. They've also launched many ETFs over the years. So I think they'd be in the mix for sure. I think you have to put ARK in the mix because they were so early. It would look weird if they held ARK back. Given they were first, so I think what put those three in, and then you've got some like Global X. You know, maybe there's a couple they could hold back um, and launch five days later, just to not maybe put too many out at once. I'm not exactly sure, but my bet is they're going to want to give the traditional finance ETF issuers the best shot at being the one, because again, part of uh, I, you know. BlackRock is a powerful company and they have remember when the March 2020 COVID you know sunk the stock market and the treasury worked with BlackRock to buy ETFs to provide liquidity so BlackRock's work really directly with the government and I just think that they probably secretly want BlackRock to, to be the one because they're a trusted company Fidelity same way other comp- the other ones are definitely ETF issuers and they're valid like a global X is a legit ETF, issuer, but they're just not on the same league as a BlackRock or Fidelity, and so I think those would be in the in the early mix for sure. But again, just don't know. I mean, you know, it's really going to come down to whoever's not in the first day is going to be pissed off. They, these are difficult decisions they're going to have to make. I think um, if I were them, I'd probably just. I think there's eleven. I'd probably just let them all launch at once. I mean, it's a little crazy, but at least you're, you could just be like, hey, look, we're, we're letting competition happen and, you know, we're not going to pick any winners.
0: And do you think that then the ones that do launch or get approved that they would compete on price?
1: It's a great question. So, yes, I think what you're, I, yeah. So they're going to compete on a couple of things. Like BlackRock is going to be like, hey, we're a brand name. Uh, You know, we're BlackRock. This is a, the way to do it, uh, Fidelity, same deal. But then like a company like Global X, or um, we just saw Roundhill, you know, in the, all the Ether ETFs, Roundhill updated their filing to say they're only going to charge, I think it was 25 basis points. So they already started a fee war in filings that haven't even launched yet. Like, so <laughs> they are going to be people coming out and saying, okay, well, BlackRock's 50 basis points will be 30. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of jockeying. <clears throat> ARC is probably going to say, hey, we're 21 shares. We do this in Europe all the time. We're close to the crypto community. Trust us. We're one of you. So that could be appealing to um, people as like, hey, we're a native, we're local to crypto. We're not like BlackRock who just came in to make money. There's going to be a lot of mud throwing around back and forth in terms of like the competitive landscape. Um, And this is good for investors overall. You know, the fee wars have been uh, a big part of the ETF industry for years. Vanguard probably deserves credit for pioneering the fee wars. But now, look, you can get an entire portfolio of equities, stocks, international, uh, really anything you want for uh, all in fee of like six basis points. I mean, it's almost like free. It's like an investor utopia. And this is largely part to the ETFs industry uh, brutality. I call it the terror because it's just brutal. You're trying to compete with Vanguard at BlackRock at cost. and This will be the same. I, I see the at the end of the day, three, four years from now, you're going to be able to buy a liquid, cheap Bitcoin ETF and it's going to be powerful. And this is why we we say um, you know to the crypto exchanges, um, you know, this will be a threat to their business because Coinbase and some of these exchanges charge a lot per trade. A Bitcoin ETF will trade for one basis point, right? That will be the bid-ass spread. And then the fee, let's just call it 35, 40 basis points. That's what GLD is. Um, it's just gonna it's gonna feel real appealing, uh, and they do all the legwork of just storing the crypto for you. Uh, uh, you the tax efficiency is there. It's going to be a very very high value proposition for most investors. So to your point, the demolition derby and the fee war. Uh, I always say the ETF industry is a hell, so investors can have the heaven. Um, <laughs> Same thing's gonna play out here, and you know, again, one thing. I'm going to go back to um, FTX. I was watching a baseball game. This was like three weeks before SBF got found out. And I saw FTX on a baseball umpire's, like somehow the baseball umpire had FTX on his jersey. This is after seeing Tom Brady. I was like, how much money does this company have? And who in the hell watching baseball is going to go to FTX? It's a bunch of 65 year olds. I was like, they just have way too much money. And so I would say that I, I remember tweeting an ETF fixes this. And I wrote a piece saying, this will be the last crypto Super Bowl if they launch ETFs. Uh. Because ETFs are such a thin, like a, a rough industry. And some of these crypto exchanges were sort of like selling populism, but making a ton of money on these high fees. And so I really think it's going to actually create more price competition in the crypto industry. Because ETFs are used to living in a terror dome. But most of the rest of finance isn't. So once you bring something into the ETF world, uh, it can be a little bit of a belt tightening situation. We see it with mutual funds. They come into the ETF world and they're like, whoa, it's like going from a country club into the jungle. And so I think you're gonna find a little of that with the crypto world. And I always I just thought you never see uh you never see that the kind of spending that you saw with FTX with the ETF issuer. They they just don't have the money because the investors keep it.
0: Yeah, not that FTX had the money either, but anyway.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, I will say that, that that was a red flag to me because I was just like, this is just this ridiculous ad spend. I get, you know, hiring Matt Damon or whatever, okay, fine, but like a baseball umpire, that is just not even their market. Like yeah. how much money do they have?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they did not have it. One last question, uh, based on your knowledge of what happened when you know the gold ETF launched or the uh, Bitcoin futures ETFs launched, um, how much money do you think would pour in? I mean, you you kind of gave a you know ballpark of like how much financial advisors might allocate, but but I'm curious, how much money do you think would pour in initially, like whether it's on the first day or the first week or first month or whatever, if um, it, uh, the spot Bitcoin ETFs were approved.
1: Okay, so Bitto traded a billion dollars in the first day, and that's the greatest launch ever, right? So the Bitcoin futures, remember, futures are less desirable than spot. So I'd have to imagine spot breaks that record. Maybe it trades. The only issue is Bitto is alone. If there's 10 launched at once, I would say the combined volume should beat Bitto easily. So I think as a group, it'll be the most successful launch of all time. Over time, how much money comes into them? You know, I've estimated maybe like twenty billion dollars in the first couple months. Because that's what GBTC has currently. And that's a broken product that isn't even traded on big exchanges. And it's still got twenty billion. It had forty billion.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, well you you know, you can't you can't leave. So <laughs> you can't leave. That's true. But uh, but that's how
1: many people went in, I guess I would say. So I would say that twenty billion is a good base for the first couple months. And then over time we predict 150 billion in the first I don't know, say year or two, and then at that point I just don't know. We have to see other things that happen with crypto, but gold ETFs have 150 billion, and I'd put them in a similar ballpark. I think ultimately they probably pass gold, um, but this is not. I don't see it being like trillions of dollars. Again, I see 0.5 to 1 percent of that advisor money allocating here, but again, that's 150 to 300 billion dollars just from advisors. The other thing you're going to get with with a liquid ETF is like GLD is used even by institutions. Institutions don't use ETFs a ton because they can get all this stuff privately and for cheaper because they have so much money. These asset managers roll up the red carpet and charge them almost nothing. But they will use GLD because it's liquid. They will have to mess with the gold and they really like the liquidity. That's what something they can't get with their private stuff. The institutions love liquidity. So the liquid ETF that is the most liquid one of the Bitcoin will probably get used by pensions, uh, endowments, and the institutional money. And they have like $70 trillion. So even if they allocate a tiny portion, you're looking at uh, some decent money. Like SPY is a great example. That's also used by endowments and a lot of institutional investors, even hedge funds. If they need a quick short or a long, they just buy GLD. They don't bother with the gold. So I think the one that gets liquid will also attract some of the institutional money. So then that's why I say it could be a little bigger than gold, but gold ETFs still make up, I don't know, 1%, 2% of all ETF assets. So again, I've allocated so much time over the past like four months to something that's going to be two percent of ETF assets. But the reason this story is so fascinating is that it's a race. That's always interesting. There's a clock. It involves the highest rungs of, of Wall Street and asset management. You can't get bigger than BlackRock. The government's involved, and then it's a, this sort of this wild and you know underworld of a bunch of characters in this crypto underworld. And all of this is being put into this story. So in terms of interest, it's off the charts. But the actual assets won't be, you know, it won't be ridiculous. One crypto trade publication saw me on a podcast like this and they came out with headline saying 30 trillions coming for Bitcoin ETFs. I said, no, no, no. That's the total possible pool of advisors. I said 0.5% or 1% of that. So there's definitely a lot of um, demand for hopium. And so I do <laughs> want to sort of, bring it down a little. Again, if you create My a bridge, show is
0: the place to, yeah, to cut down to the hopium. Opium. Okay, you're
1: opium hopium killer. <laughs> I mean, they really want, they they want the hopium. Like sometimes <laughs> I like 75%, what's wrong with you? I'm like, that's pretty high. Anyway, again though, a bridge to the wealthy boomers is the way to look at this, but they're not all going to buy it. But I just think that's ultimately going to be good. And again, the, the one that gets the most volume will probably be used by the institutional crowd as well. Again, in small doses. No, no big advisor or is going 100% of the client's portfolio. That is just something they're not going to do. Probably going to allocate like they do to gold, you know, a couple percent, maybe. Uh, something like that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Eric. It's been great getting your, uh, actually realistic, in, in this case, hopium, actually. Um, it's been very informative. Like,
1: like uh, methadone. That's a weird reference, but it's like, it's like a, a, a minor form of opium.
0: Yes. yes, okay. yes But it's up. just factual opium. We can call yes. it. opium. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for coming on Unchained.
1: You got it. Thanks for having me.
0: Don't forget. Next up is the weekly news recap today presented by veteran crypto reporter and Columbia University Knight Badgett fellow, Michael Del Castillo. Stick around for this week in crypto after this short break. Join over 80 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, trade and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code Laura. Link in the description.
2: Happy Friday, and thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Unchained Weekly News Recap. I'm Michael Del Castillo, a Knight Badgett Fellow at Columbia University. This week, the legal woes of embattled former CEO of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, intensified as the U.S. Department of Justice took multiple actions against him. On Monday, the DOJ attorney in charge of the investigation filed a motion to bar all seven of Bankman-Fried's proposed expert witnesses, citing, quote, an array of deficiencies, end quote. The witnesses include legal and business professionals whose testimonies, according to the DOJ, would, quote, serve no other purpose than to provide an expert patina to inadmissible hearsay testimony about the defendant's supposed lack of criminal knowledge or intent, end quote, harsh words coming from the DOJ. But making matters worse, in a letter to the judge overseeing the case the following day, the same attorney questioned the adequacy of Sam Bankman-Fried's, quote, advice of counsel and, quote, defense strategy and his upcoming October trial, urging him to provide more details or face limitations on his defense. Bankman-Fried's legal team has also been grappling with what they describe as, quote, inadequate, and quote, prison technology facilities. While he was granted limited computer access, his lawyers argue that the limitations hamper his ability to prepare for trial. They have appealed for more extensive pre-trial release measures, stating that the current conditions violate his Sixth Amendment rights. However, the DOJ has argued that his access to technology in pre-trial detention goes, quote, above and beyond, end quote, what other defendants have been offered. Adding to the complexity, Bankman-Fried's lawyers objected to 4 million additional pages of discovery evidence introduced by the DOJ. They argue that the addition of so much evidence so close to the trial is, quote, plainly inadequate and hampers their client's right to defend himself. Bankman-Fried, whose charges include fraud and money laundering, has appealed his jail term for alleged witness tampering when he shared the writings of former colleague, Carolyn Ellison, who is expected to testify against him. His lawyers claim he was merely exercising his First Amendment rights. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has filed a sealed motion against cryptocurrency exchange Binance, raising eyebrows across the industry. The confidential filing, which includes over 30 exhibits, has led experts to speculate that the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange by trading volume conducting more than $6 billion in trades over the past 24 hours, may be under criminal investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice. Former SEC official John Reed Stark proposed in a social media post that the sealed documents likely contain quote, secret details, end quote, about a DOJ criminal probe, adding that those details could possibly involve money laundering allegations against Binance and linking to a more detailed explanation in his personal LinkedIn profile. Stark, who left the SEC in 2009 and is now a cybersecurity consultant, described the move as a, quote, rare tactic, claiming that the SEC usually operates with high transparency. He outlined two potential reasons for the sealed filing. First, to protect the integrity of a concurrent DOJ criminal investigation, or second, to safeguard a witness or company. Stark also noted that if Binance does not oppose the ceiling, it likely means the documents contains information the company would prefer to keep confidential. It is important to note this is speculation by Stark. Elsewhere, Binance, still the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, is contemplating a full exit from the Russian market, according to a Wall Street Journal report. This comes after the exchange delisted five sanctioned Russian banks from Binance's peer-to-peer service. Signaling the gravity of the situation, a Binance spokesperson told the journal that, quote, all options are on the table, including a full exit, end quote. The exchange also has limited Russian users doing ruble transactions on the P2P platform to those who have been verified. Those outside Russia are also barred from trading in rubles. These changes follow reports that Binance facilitated P2P trades involving Russian banks sanctioned by the United States, including Tinkoff Bank and Ross Bank. The Wall Street Journal reported that Binance's P2P platform, which unlike Binance's decentralized exchange custodies assets until a trade is confirmed, had seen $428 million in trades between October and March, which could add to its legal troubles with the DOJ. Additionally, Binance is rerouting its Belgian customers through a Polish entity, to circumvent a ban imposed by Belgium's Financial Services and Markets Authority, which this June ordered the crypto exchange to cease operations in the country. This week, we also learned the U.S. Department of Justice, in collaboration with the Internal Revenue Service, had released proposed regulations aimed at tightening tax reporting requirements for cryptocurrency transactions. According to a document dated August 29, but discovered late last week, quote, these regulations align tax reporting on digital assets with tax reporting on other assets, end quote, and would apply to, quote, sales of such commodities on or after January 1st, 2025. It would appear the proposal is just the latest government action that while finally bringing some much-needed clarity to crypto isn't exactly the kind of clarity insiders were hoping for. In response to the proposal, the CEO of advocacy firm Blockchain Association, Kristen Smith, warned that while such rules could help users comply with tax laws, they must be, quote, tailored accordingly and not capture ecosystem participants that don't have a pathway to compliance. Tax expert Jason Swartz commented on social media that the proposed regulation's definition of digital assets' middlemen could turn website developers into brokers if the websites facilitate digital asset sales. Quote, that's bad law and bad policy, he wrote. Last week, the U.S. bankruptcy judge Martin Glenn declined to classify Celsius's native cell token as a security. The decision came after investor Otis Davis urged the court to recognize the legal precedent set in the Ripple XRP case. Judge Glenn stated, nothing in the motions this order or announced at the hearing constitutes a finding under the federal securities laws as to whether crypto tokens or transactions involving crypto tokens are securities, end quote. Last week, the court rejected Celsius token holders' bid to value sell at 80 cents, opting for a lower value of 25 cents. In what appears to be a huge victory for decentralized exchanges, generally speaking, U.S. District Judge Catherine Polk-Faia dismissed a class-action lawsuit against the creators of decentralized exchange Uniswap and high-profile investors Andreessen Horowitz, Union Square Ventures, and others, ruling that the platform is not liable for losses related to scam tokens. The lawsuit, initiated by six plaintiffs, alleged that Uniswap operated as an unregistered broker and dealer. In an opinion and order filed Tuesday, Judge Fayette wrote, quote, Due to the protocol's decentralized nature, The identities of the scam token issuers are basically unknown and unknowable, end quote. She further explained that federal securities laws shouldn't be stretched to cover such conduct, suggesting that Congress might want to do a better job addressing the issue. Uniswap founder Hayden Adams described the decision on social media as a, quote, huge win, adding long live DeFi. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, known for its crackdowns on crypto-based dark web marketplaces, fell victim to a classic airdrop phishing scam, according to a Forbes report. The agency reportedly lost over $55,000 in confiscated Tether funds. The SAMR exploited the public nature of blockchain transactions, noticing a test transfer of $45.36 in Tether from the DA to the U.S. Marshalls' wallet. The fraudster then created a similar-looking wallet address and successfully tricked the DEA into transferring the funds. The FBI has already filed a warrant and is leading the investigation. The stolen funds were converted into Ether and transferred to a different wallet. Ben Armstrong, the face of the popular YouTube channel BitBoy Crypto, has been removed from the brand by its parent company BJ Investment Holdings. The company cited, quote, Substance abuse, end quote, and adding emotional, physical, and financial damage, end quote, as reasons for the separation. Armstrong, however, refuted these claims and vehemently denied allegations of substance abuse, adding, quote, I have not relapsed. This is a lie, end quote, he told Decrypt Media. Three former Pepe coin team members have been accused of stealing 16 trillion of the tokens worth around 15 million dollars from the project's multi sig wallet. Quote Yesterday, these three ex team members came back behind my back, logged onto the multi sig, stole 16 trillion or 60% of the 26 trillion multi sig tokens, and sent them to exchanges to sell. End quote, according to a social media post from the widely followed account the author or authors of the post claimed that the multi-sig wallet required three of the four signers to approve transactions. The fourth signer presumably wrote the post. The allegedly stolen funds were quickly sold on OKX and Binance, causing the Pepe token price to plummet nearly 20%. Meanwhile, the hits just keep coming for decentralized finance protocol balancer, which after seeing $200 million worth of deposits flee last week, following reports of poorly written software, this week lost another $900,000. In a social media post, Web3 audit firm Hacken wrote, quote, to avoid potential losses, withdraw affected LPs immediately, end quote. And that's all. Thank you so much for joining us today. We know it's hard to keep up with the latest news in the crypto ecosystem. That's why Unchained has a daily newsletter to keep you covered. Sign up for free and receive the latest updates right in your inbox, Monday through Friday. Check out the show notes and subscribe to our Substack. Unchained is produced by Laura Shin, with the help of Kevin Fuchs, Matt Pilchard, Juan Aronovic, Megan Gavis, Jenny Hogan, Shashank, and Margaret Curia. Thanks so much for listening.